On this episode of the Cutting Edge Podcast, open educational resources and how to apply them outside of textbooks. And so I think as we look at moving forward, we are going to have to be incremental. We are going to have to make it very turnkey and easy if we want to see you know, mass um, adoption and scalable adoption use of these new practices. And how OER is changing the way libraries share resources. Really, we're, we're looking at kind of disrupting educational publishing models. And that's maybe something that we don't talk about quite as much. I'm your host, Emily Bamforth, and this is Cutting Edge, where we learn what's next in higher education IT and online learning from the people who are making it happen. Lincoln College in Illinois is due to close next month after 157 years of operations, barring a major last-minute donation. The college struggled with enrollment post-pandemic, and a ransomware attack in December prevented access to key institutional data. At one point, the college could not even accept applications for its own systems. Arizona State University is ending its decade-long partnership with Pearson. The British publisher managed some services for ASU Online. ASU plans to bring enrollment and marketing efforts all in-house under its Online Management and Partnerships Unit, Ed Plus. Pearson said the contract's end will only have a modest effect on revenue overall, though the Times of London reported that the Arizona State contract makes up a third of Pearson's OPM revenue. Educause's annual Horizon report on teaching and learning highlighted the importance of professional development in implementing emerging technologies. The report picks the top technologies and practices key to higher ed's future. The technology pieces this year were broken down into areas where they could be practically applied so that experts could weigh costs and benefits. Find all these stories and more on edscoop.com. More states are evaluating Open Educational Resources, or OER, as a way to cut student costs. OER is commonly associated with free textbooks, but OpenStax Managing Director Daniel Williamson says there's an ecosystem forming around using OER materials and platforms in the classroom that could open up instruction even more. It's been a really interesting few years because a lot of what people have been asking for has changed. Um, you see a lot of folks, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, you had a lot of folks reaching out and saying, I want free textbooks, right? Stop. <laughs> I want to replace that thing that we used to, we used to buy in the bookstore. Um, and I think now, especially with the shift to more digital learning, people are saying, no, I want more comprehensive, a comprehensive suite of resources that enable my teaching and enable my students learning. And I think what that, that looks like is um, deeper integration with the learning management system. Um, the, of course, the core content, right? All the, the textbook prose that you might've encountered previously in your physical format. Um, but in addition to that, assessment items, lots and lots of assessment items, uh, lots of varied types of assessments, um, uh, different types of, actual engaging um, authentic assessment opportunities. So not just um, multiple choice questions, but questions that really gauge students' understanding of a, of a topic, um, but also problem-based learning, right? Looking for ways to kind of bring the, the social aspect back into the classroom, virtual or, or in person. Um, and I think a lot of that also plays into, you know, this new dig digital medium. How do we 
Um, and I guess it's not even that new anymore, is it? Huh. <laughs> we, it we say new digital medium, but I guess it's not even that new. Um, but how do we take advantage of everything that's available to us now? Um, you know, thinking about flipping the classroom a bit, providing more opportunities for um, different types of uh, polling in the in the lecture, um, if you have that in your class. And then also, like, how do we take advantage of things like virtual simulations to take uh, a lab and make it much more uh, scalable? So we get a lot of requests that ways in those directions. Um, and of course, OpenStax is no uh, has no fear of partnering. Right? We have fifty five plus um, education technology companies that partner with us. Some are for profit, some are nonprofit, and they provide a variety of different things. Um, and of course, OpenStax, we also produce our own uh, digital learning tools as well. And so, you know, you see all of these different groups popping up, new companies, old companies taking a new direction and, and really trying to address the needs that students and educators uh, have now in this new, new reality that we're in. I'd love to dig a little bit more into some of those resources and maybe some of those examples of those resources, because obviously the first thing that does come to mind when you hear about open educational resources is it's not a, a physical textbook. It's, it's, it's something that's free and I don't have to worry about going to the bookstore for and, and all of this. Um, but it, as you said, it's, it's so much more. Do you have um, some examples of of something that's been particularly effective um, in helping with that kind of flipped uh, classroom mentality and um, also something that, that helps with that, that engagement and, and why it's so important to share these kinds of things. So, I mean, I think one of the experiments that we've run over the past couple of um, years is around LMS course cartridges. Mm -hmm. So in our eco economics textbook, we have kind of a, a premium version of those uh, course cartridges. They are free, but they are premium. And they have all different types of things just embedded right within uh, a course cartridge that you can upload right to your Blackboard or D2L or Canvas, um, Canvas environment. And so, you know, what we've done here is made it incredibly easy for an instructor to pull in all of the, the textbook content that you have, but then really have it laden with a wealth of different types of resources like assessments, activities, discussion prompts, um, and of course the readings and other assignable materials. And so this is all like right there. It's designed um, uh, building off of, you know, some standard uh, pedagogical design practices, looking about ways of how to manage your course with pre-lecture um, activities, synchronous activities for when you're actually in class together, and then also post-lecture kind of experiences or assessments. Um, and so this is all designed to be super, super turnkey to make it easy for instructors to customize um, and pull out the content that they really want and deploy. And of course, all of this, because we're OpenStax is available for free, and so students can go, or instructors can go online, download these course shells, and then upload them to their um, various learning management systems. So that's like one example. Um, and then I think from some of our other kind of like partner um, products, you know, uh, I think Lumen Learning has done a really fantastic job building new cor adaptive courseware 
I know they're doing a lot of incredible work um, funded by the Gates Foundation to look at ways to engage students um, and make sure that the products that they're producing are equitable. And I think they are a pretty incredible um, option to check out. I'm not their spokesperson at all, <laughs> but, but I think it's a good one for your listeners to go check out and kind of see what, what, what they're working on as well. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's just a lot of cool stuff. Like today I was kind of, these are not my partners, but I was browsing some other companies that are out there. Um, and I was learning about, um, Stellic. And so Stellic looks at these providing like dynamic degree pathways for students, right? Everybody can remember a day when they were either sitting, you know, any college graduates probably sitting in a class being like, why am I taking this class? I hate xyz or I, I this is not relevant to me or or maybe i want to switch uh, degree pathways right like maybe i want to go from being a musician to being an economist right and and it's a difficult decision to make and so what stellic um i believe is doing based on my reading of their website is like looking for new ways to kind of understand the impact of those various decisions and help students make informed decisions about you know, how do I, how do I reach my educational goals? How do I uh, get good advice um, and make sure that uh, I understand what changing a degree might do? Or if I take this course, am I going to be prepared to take the next one in a series? And I think that's all like really, really beneficial in helping students improve like on-time graduation or retention rates, make sure that they're not making bad decisions in terms of, or wasting time, if you will, and kind of help improve um, course completion and graduation rates. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that role that um, OER can play outside of just the cost savings for students um, in terms of student success? Because I read something recently on calculating return on investment on these programs and, and one side of it is the implementation costs, um, which people are, are concerned about getting things into place. But um, the other side, which isn't as measurable as on average, people save this much money on a textbook is, is that student success um, component. Where do you think that conversation is? Do you think that that's something that people widely recognize with OER yet, or or do you think that the conversation is still um, kind of on that cost savings piece? Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and and I don't think it's a simple yes. They're they've moved on. Um, right. <laughs> I think it, I think it really depends on the audience, right? Um, I think uh, I think if I'm recalling the correct uh, recommendation you're referring to, it's probably more at a policymaker mm -hmm. um, front. And I think for policymakers, it makes a lot of sense, right? They think a lot about dollars and cents, and they think about how we're going to fund the higher education, right? Um, and so for them, I think that return on investment makes a lot of sense. And there's probably still some work that we, the OER community, need to do to really unpack the savings beyond replacing an expensive textbook with a free one. Um, however, you know, when I think about the, the opportunity for OER, oh, and I have to say something funny real quick because uh, someone said this recently, 
you know, OER, like any new kind of innovation or program is free like a puppy. Um, and the free like a puppy part that like connected with me in this particular conversation um, was, yeah, your upstart costs are a little bit expensive, right? You're going to have to replace your rugs after the puppy pees all over them. You're going to have to like get things in place and, you know, make sure they're trained. But with training, with, you know, a lot of um, discipline, after that upstart period, you have a great best friend for quite some time. And that's where I think we are getting to with OER. We're getting to that best friend where it now becomes a partner with you to, to go on walks, to, to really explore and figure out, you know, you know, what's next. And so from like an OER perspective, we are beginning to reach a point where we have, you know, a, a pretty strong library of content. Um, at OpenStax alone, we're publishing 10 new titles this year. We'll be uh, about, I think, 60 some odd titles. So we cover a lot of that intra-level course content. But the reality is access, which, you know, providing a freely available textbook is like opening a door. But if you can't walk through that door because there are particular barriers preventing you, either you're not prepared to take that course or you're not, I don't know, financially ready to take that course or whatever it might be, there, it, access doesn't really help you that much, right? And so what we are really interested in at OpenStax, um, looking forward to our next 10 years, um, is really building on this foundation of access, but thinking about how do we help students um, in their courses address issues of academic readiness and preparedness, thinking about the cognitive and non-cognitive um, skills that they're going to need in order to su succeed in that course, and also thinking about how do we help them reach proficiency? You know, I talked a little bit about these various LMS course cartridges, but I think there's a lot of different ways that we can create, um, help, help instructors be a partner for instructors and help them create a more engaging, a more relevant learning experience for their students. One where students are encouraged to practice various help seeking behaviors, encouraged to test their own knowledge um, and to encourage encouraged to really look at opportunities for just-in-time remediation or, or even enrichment when the class might be moving a little bit slower than they'd like to. And the, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And the thing that's so incredible about open educational resources is they are by design meant to be flexible. They are by design meant to be taken and adapted. And they're not supposed to be this one-size-fits-all pull it off the bookshelf, deploy it, uh, and use it, and that's it. And so we are excited about, you know, we just hit our 10th anniversary this year, and we're really excited about what the next 10 years looks like, and really focusing in on how do we address access, but also academic preparedness for students, and also helping them reach their proficiency goals. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that from the instructor perspective or the administrative head of the department perspective in higher ed. Um, and I, I'm a sucker for a good dog metaphor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, so much of, of that experience, and I would imagine this one is, is building trust. Um, and instructors have a lot going on They're They're dealing with the pandemic. They're dealing with burnout. There's, there's so much happening. And, and when 
new resources or materials are introduced, obviously that's that's more work um, as you as you put in that could reap a benefit, but it, it might be a little startling for some of them. Um, can you talk a little bit about conversations with faculty, with instructors, with partners, and, and what has proved particularly helpful to managing this and maybe managing some of the stress um, that comes with, I've been teaching this way for X years, and now I have these new materials, which is great, but I also have to, you know, change my instructional design as well as everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and believe it or not, this is not a new conversation, right? right. This is not <laughs> even a, I mean, yes, the pandemic has heightened a lot of these, these challenges and, and I feel so, um, so much for both faculty and students in terms of everything they've gone through. This has been incredibly difficult, but those conversations around change and adaptation, um, uh, I have been around at least as long as I've been working because I remember I remember just rolling out uh, you know our very first open textbooks and people looking at us like we had lobsters crawling out of our ears when we told them that this was you know free and open but it was peer-reviewed and all these various things and and change takes time and one of the things that we are incredibly good at at OpenStax and, and I think OER as well is that we don't we don't look at this like a product, right? That is meant to be consumed. We we view this as an opportunity for partnership. And in fact, one of our um, core pillars of our work at OpenStax is all around understanding, understanding student and educator needs, understanding the structural and environmental challenges that are facing students and instructors. And in fact, if I hearken back to 2010, 11, 12, when we were really preparing to publish our first textbooks, one of the things that we told us, we told, we said in terms of our strategy is, it, we don't want to require people to change a ton. Maybe we ask them to change one thing. And in the book metaphor, right? We asked them to change the book, uh, but other things they could keep the same. And so I think as we look at moving forward, we are going to have to be incremental. We are going to have to make it very turnkey and easy if we want to see you know, mass um, adoption and scalable adoption use of these new practices. And frankly, we're also going to have to partner. Uh, we're going to have to partner with uh, folks who can provide deep levels of support um, to instructors so that they're not just out there on their own uh, you know, dealing with all these changes, we're going to need to look at ways to work with um, centers for teaching excellence and and think about how we might partner with them to take advantage of the programs that they have in place. And and I don't I don't have all the answers yet, but what I can commit to is really taking the time to listen to instructors, listen to educators encouraging my team to do the exact same thing. We put a lot of money into user experience and user experience research um, to really understand what, can, what we can do to help facilitate their success. And so I hear you, like there's definitely, definitely a lot of pain and a lot of burnout right now. And our goal is to hopefully ease that as much as possible uh, and maybe take it step by step and not just introduce aggressive wholesale change. 
Oh, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for speaking with me and, and I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation as uh, OpenStax moves into its second decade. That's very exciting. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, great talking with you. You can read more about open educational resources in the colleges implementing them at edscoop.com. I'm your host, Emily Bamforth, and this is the Cutting Edge Podcast. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. West Virginia University Libraries implemented grant and review programs to encourage instructors to explore OER. Looking ahead, Dean Karen Diaz talks about editing and publishing in OER and how inflation is hitting libraries. West Virginia University began working in the space of OERs um, a few years back when we joined the Open Textbook Network. And that really prompted us to um, have access to some better um, information around the why, the what, and the how of um, implementing these. We were able to introduce workshops to our campus and begin educating our faculty around the idea of them. And then um, as part of that membership, uh, actually encouraging our faculty to do more exploration and learn a little bit more on their own. Um, and part of the, the workshop series was that if they then went off to review a book in the open textbook library, um, they could receive a stipend for that review. And it was a way of encouraging faculty to become a little bit more familiar with what is out there and the quality of the work. Because very early in this whole uh, movement towards OER, you know, one of the concerns that I think was often voiced was that there was a concern about the quality of the materials um, that people were adopting. And this was meant to be, get, get faculty um, a little bit more engaged with actually seeing what the quality looked like. And, um, and so I think that was successful in changing um, some attitudes around it. We, over time, then started developing a grant program to encourage faculty to adopt or adapt um, OER. And um, so we've, we're on our third year of um, doing that work. And, um, you know, and I would say some of the things that we, we have been learning um, in the process around all of this is that incentives really are important. Um, in this work because we're actually asking faculty to step away from the status quo and step away from what is kind of um, very well supported in terms of published materials um, and to venture off into new territory. I think that we're, we're um, also learning that there, there is support that faculty need to make this transition, um, technical support. Um, for instance, um, if people want to create their own materials, they may need platforms for publishing, um, they may need copyright guidance, um, they may need um, copy editing, a whole variety of kinds of things. And so um, building structures around, around it is uh, important as well. And I think the other thing that we are, we've certainly learned is that there's not a one-size-fits-all um, OER are not appropriate for necessarily every course. And so um, the, the uh, encouragement to move into this space uh, really needs to be understood as uh, the kind of thing that will be appropriate for some courses and not for all. 
Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to dig in a little bit to some of those conversations that uh, you've been having and, and people at the libraries have been having throughout implementing these programs and, and encouraging adoption. Where do you see excitement from instructors when they, they first encounter OER or they, they see an application that's particularly exciting to them? I think one of the most exciting um, features of OER is that it really opens up new opportunities for how the faculty teach. Um, and honestly, uh, moving into new kinds of materials often really means rethinking your pedagogy. And so um, it's not necessarily for the faint of heart because it, it is asking people to move in a new direction. But I think we've seen faculty who've been excited about um, new kinds of assignments that they can create um, where, uh, you know, in some cases it's not just adopting an OER that someone else has made, but it's actually using your course to create something new. And so you're engaging students in a new way um, and you're engaging them in creating new knowledge and, and providing materials that the next course um, will use. And so you're creating really authentic assignments and really authentic work um, for students. And I think another thing that's really exciting about them is, is just the um, ability to um, really customize them to, to the kinds of things that um, you're trying to accomplish in that particular course. And in some cases, that might be um, bringing a regional uh, twist to what you're talking about or um, really focusing in on an area um, as it applies to the particular region in which your university exists and, and the region in which your students are learning. And can you talk about some of the areas where you've, you've seen the most application? So, so are there any fields that kind of stand out as, as being more, more open to OER or seeing more applications? You know, I would say on our campus, I think we've had um, we've had uptake from kind of different disciplines. Uh, we've had biology, psychology, English, math, um, geology, film history, social work, health. So we've seen a lot of different disciplines represented. But I would say maybe the one thing um, that they do tend to have a little bit more in common is uh, there might be a bit more uptake on the lower division courses. And um, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, if a faculty member wants to adopt a textbook or materials that have already been created, um, you're most likely going to find materials that have been created for intro level courses. Those are certainly the most reusable um, sorts of materials when you think about um, calculus and how calculus is taught. Uh, calculus in one university is the same as calculus in another university. And so um, the principles and the, the learning content is the same. And so for actual adoption, I think, you know, we probably see a lot more of that at the lower division levels. Um, but, you know, as, as you're talking about having students co-create materials, um, then you might see that kind of work move a little bit more to some of the upper level courses. 
yeah, talking about some of those next steps there, maybe having students co-create those materials. Can you talk about some of the priorities right now after building some of that foundation through the grants program, through uh, the review program? What are, what are some of the next steps here in encouraging this? Well, I will say on my own campus, um, one, of, one of our next steps is to really build a better um, technical solution um, for faculty. Uh, we have seen a lot of libraries sort of um, move into a whole publishing space. And in fact, um, there is a consortium now that, that exists, um, the Library Publishing Coalition, to help libraries learn from each other in terms of how to set this up and, and to move forward in this work. Um, and it's, you know, that that publishing need is, um, again, it's technical, it's, it's looking for um, platforms on which the materials can be hosted and shared and reused and edited and that kind of thing. Um, but there's, there's also um, a little more need around um, as I mentioned, uh, copyright compliance and understanding, um, as well as, uh, again, depending on how big of a project someone is working on, um, you know, that the need for editing services and that kind of thing. So I, for my own campus, um, that's certainly an area that we are trying to um, move into more rigorously and trying to develop some, some levels of support for. Yeah, looking more closely at that, can you talk about some of the needs that might be in that kind of system and, and whether this is something that um, you mentioned that there's a consortium that, that shares best practices, shares some of the approaches. Is this something that um, in the conversations you've had thus far, looks like it would more come from, from tapping an already set up structure or something that um, the libraries would, would develop with IT or technical teams at at your campus? Yeah, good question. Well, I think that we definitely will draw upon um, the, the wisdom of the crowd in terms of looking at technical supports that we can, can buy off the shelf and implement. Um, we certainly um, at our institution would not be looking to develop something new or um, creating that because we just don't have the bandwidth for that here. Um, but we would definitely be benefiting from what others have done. Um, I also think that we will benefit from um, some of the, the guidelines and um, uh, even toolkits that that organization has created just in terms of what do you need to develop a, a publishing program. And so, so I think that some of it will will be internal work and will be internal effort, but very much drawing on um, the wisdom of those who've gone before us and who've, who've created a lot of these tools. And I, I don't know if at some point in time, um, there might be opportunity for some shared services um, around editing or around um, you know, other facets of this kind of work, but um, that would certainly be something um, we would be be interested in if that were available. Oh, I'm I'm sure. I feel like um, just building this structure is such a, a group effort, and and there's so much out there uh, to tap into and explore on this. Um, what? But outside of that, what's one part of this process um, in your experience 
that you think that people should know about implementing OER and um, just maybe something that isn't as discussed as much or, or maybe people should view a little bit differently? Yeah, so a lot of the, the way that we attract faculty to think about OER is, you know, we, we sort of give this idea of cost savings and that, um, you know, here you are a faculty member, you have this great opportunity to um, save your students some money. And so um, think about that. And, and that is an important driver. But um, what's behind some of that is really we're, we're looking at kind of disrupting educational publishing models. And that's maybe something that we don't talk about quite as much. But in fact, um, a lot of this work has, has arisen because we saw figures, you know, a few years back where you would see trend lines showing the, the rise in CPI over years and the rise in healthcare costs over years being much bigger than that. And then the rise in textbook costs being even higher than healthcare cost inflation. So there were real challenges around inflation in this space. And, um, and so a lot of this work really has, has been done to try to disrupt some of that, that challenge. Um, and what has been seen as, as sort of an unfair burden and that students have been bearing because of it. And I'll just say that I, I think that that disruption sits within an even larger conversation um, that we're having around open scholarship. Um, and so we're seeing the same challenges that libraries have been facing um, on the research side of things. And so um, that the materials that libraries subscribe to that uh, allow our campuses to have access to research that is being done has become so unaffordable that we've, we've had a hard time keeping up with um, subscribing to as much as what our campuses would like. And so I think, I think really what's, it's, it's hard to talk about all of these things when you're just having the conversation with one faculty member about potentially changing their one class. But really um, that very micro action sits within this much bigger um, macro economic structure that's just it's been very challenging um, to keep up with and for universities to continue to afford. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful to, to know and to understand. And I'm glad that you were able to walk me through some of that, that bigger picture. So thank you so much uh, for, for speaking with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com as well as everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Until next time, I'm Emily Vanforth.